been a teacher for 32 years, and when I first started teaching, I was really surprised to discover that there are a lot of teenagers that can feel stuck in life. Um, it's common for young people, and not just socially or emotionally. A few years ago, uh, Lakeshore asked me if I would teach a couple hours of PE, and I thought, oh, this will be a kick. What a hoot this will be. And so I'm teaching PE, and I was really surprised by how many of my students um, want to gain strength or gain muscle or lose weight or gain weight or they all have these different goals and they often um, they have this sincere desire to do so but they just get stuck nothing much really happens and they think that their desire to change is really like the secret ingredient and they and I have this disagreement about that. And so one day I was super frustrated with the effort level happening in the weight room. And um, so I kind of, I blew the whistle. And I almost never blow the whistle, right? But I have one because I'm a PE teacher. So I blow the whistle. Everyone looks at me and I go, hey, people, look. Look over here at me. And I don't know where this came from or what I was thinking. But I go, this right here is no accident. Now let's get to work. And they all looked at me like, what? I, like, I, was, I guess I was trying to be funny or motivate them a little bit. And then Tim Frakes raises his hand and he goes, um, so you look like that on purpose? <laughs> and then, of course, the class lost it, right? Um, in the last couple months, I've shared um, some surveys, um, read some pieces from some articles, I've shared some, um, some studies that have been done recently that do, in fact, show that Americans feel, we feel stuck right now in a lot of different ways. Our, our mental health is not in a good place. We don't like how we look and feel on the inside, and that's for a lot of reasons. And it seems like just when one reason is going away, a new reason crops up in the world, right? So, if it, But if you're not feeling some sense of stuckness in your life, consider yourself fortunate because many of us are. And I think that may be why what we've been looking at since we've been here in the solarium together since November has generated like an unprecedented amount of feedback that I've been getting. And I really appreciate that. And it's, but it just seems like things are really resonating, the things that we're talking about. Because beginning in November, when we first came back to in-person indoors uh, gatherings, we began by looking at what Jesus began with, his, the very first words that he spoke publicly. And now we call them the Beatitudes. And then since February, we transitioned from the Beatitudes to the first words ever written in the New Testament, which is um, a letter written from the Apostle Paul to some of the first churches in Galatia, which is in, an area in what we now call Turkey. And so um, there are lots of ways to interpret these two passages of, of Scripture, of the Bible. But we, we did this. We framed the Beatitudes as a map. And, and we said as the, the Beatitudes are Jesus inviting us to follow him or reroute our lives into his in, anti-intuitive way of living a life of love and loving the life we live. And I can't tell you how many folks love that idea and really resonated with it and that was exciting for me and I think really kind of inspired that series to, to, to keep going and then we um, turned to Galatians and and what Paul is doing in this first thing ever written in the New Testament 
is he is defending this way of Jesus from the people who want to turn it into a religion. They want to take what Jesus tried to do here in the Beatitudes and reroute us into a way to find life and, and give it away. And they want to just devolve it into a new set of rules and regulations and rituals that you have to do, you must obey, you must fulfill, you have to observe in order to get God on your side. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians, and he's adamantly opposed to this idea. And he's insisting that the way of Jesus is not a religion. And that if we do that to it, it will ruin it. And in fact, he calls it instead the gospel of grace. Like the, the good news that God is already on your side. That's what he calls it. And so the way that we framed what Paul is doing is we said that he seems to be saying that the gospel is all about these three things. Belonging, believing, and becoming. Belonging, believing, and becoming. Or uh, you could say uh, God's rescue of us and how our trust in God leads to our transformation. Okay? So that's how we've framed what he seems to be doing um, in, in Galatians. And over the course of the last five or six weeks now, we've looked at all three of these aspects. And so... This morning, as we prepare for next Sunday's Saints Among Us, and, and if you've never been with us for one of these gatherings, I strongly encourage you to be here. They are really super powerful. They're really, really great. And so please, please come. It's one of our favorite things that, that we do. So I, but in this, this last Sunday, wrapping up Galatians and preparing for Saints Among Us, I'd like to take one last look at becoming, at becoming. And it could be called growth or change or getting unstuck. And yes, some might call it saintliness, okay? It all means the same thing. And so our first question this morning goes like this. How does our trust in God's love for us produce change? Or what Paul calls in Galatians that we went over about a month ago, the fruit of the Spirit, this character of love and joy and peace and patience, mercy and self-control. So as we dive into this, one last kind of reminder of where we've been before we end here, okay, is as we dive into this, I think it might be helpful for us to, remind, to remember that what we've been exploring the last few months can go like this. If the Beatitudes are a rerouting of our lives into living in grace, okay, then Galatians is a realigning of our lives to living out grace, okay? So Paul is pleading with the Galatians to remember the reality of the gospel. Remember the reality of the gospel, that we are rescued by simply trusting in God's love for us. Period, full stop, end of story. There's nothing else that you have to do, believe, observe, obey. God, the gospel is about something that God has done, not something that we do, okay? It's about God's love for us, and when that takes root in our heart, when the gospel takes root in our hearts, Paul is arguing 
we will begin to more and more want to realign our lives with grace, with God and his ways. And in chapter 2 of Galatians, in the second half of a passage we've already taken a look at, um, Paul gives an example of how this works, realigning our lives, and sometimes why it doesn't, okay? So he's writing about this encounter. Paul's an apostle. It just means one of the big dudes in the early church, okay? We'll leave it at that. And he is writing about this encounter he has with Peter, who's also an apostle, all right? And so Peter and Paul are two very, very important people in the, in the early church, in the first followers of Jesus. And in this letter to Galatians, Paul is telling the Galatians about an encounter he had with Peter, okay? And how even Peter can get things wrong, get out, out of alignment with God's grace. So this is what um, Paul writes. He said, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Earlier, before certain persons had come, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. Now, keep in mind that, that remember that all the first followers of Jesus, including Jesus himself, Peter, and Paul, were Jewish. But the Galatians, the people that Paul is writing to here, were not Jewish, okay? So he's telling about this story about how Peter was with some non-Jewish believers, and then some Jewish guys showed up, okay? And Paul saw this happen, so here he continues. But when the religious group came from Jerusalem, when the Jewish followers of Jesus came from Jerusalem, Peter cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he, self, as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends, all right? That's how fearful he was of the Jewish clique that's been pushing out the old system of religion. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in on that hypocrisy. So Peter's kind of distancing himself from the not cool kids. And then other Jewish followers were like, oh, I guess we can't hang out with those people, Okay. But when, and here's Paul's angle. When I saw that they were not maintaining a steady, straight course according to the gospel, I spoke up to Peter. So this is what he said to him. If you, a Jew, live like a non-Jew, non, in other words, non-religiously, when you're not being observed by the watchdog religious guys from Jerusalem, what right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your old Jerusalem buddies. I mean, this is typical like high school lunch cafeteria stuff at this point, right? Maybe middle school, right? That's exactly what's going on. So we know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through our personal faith in Jesus Christ, through this trusting in God's love for us, through, we've talked about, through accepting our acceptance. That's how we're set right with God. This is what Paul's arguing. So now, how do we know that? How do we know that that's how it works, the gospel of grace works? Because we tried the other way, and, and we had the best system of rules the world had ever seen. And now he's talking about all the laws and rules and rituals and regulations that you had to observe and obey in the Jewish religion but convinced that no human can please God by self-improvement, 
Instead, we trusted in Jesus. We were set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would only be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Jesus died for nothing. Now, there's a lot going on here, but for our purposes this morning, the gist of this encounter is God loves us, one and all, long before we believe, long before we behave, and this is why we are striving as a community here at Storyline to to be a community where we can say anyone can belong before they believe here. Anyone can belong here before they believe, no matter what they believe. And the beauty and the genius of what Paul is arguing for in Galatians and, and what we are aspiring to as a community here is that in the end, Maybe all you have to believe is that you belong. And so the way we, you structure the community actually like reinforces what it is that God's asking of us, which is to jump into his arms, to accept our acceptance, okay? Which gets us right back here to the topic for this morning and how, the way I would put it is, believing in our belonging begins our becoming. It's believing in our belonging that begins our becoming. That, that, that is what helps us to get unstuck. Now, we've spent quite a bit of time on this idea that when we trust in God's love for us, something, or really, according to the Bible, someone enters into our life, and it's the Holy Spirit, okay? We also talked a couple weeks ago about we discovered how the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit actually is, is God's love for God. That's what the Holy Spirit is. That's who he is. It's, it's the divine love of God for God becoming the third person of, of the Trinity. And that is gifted to us when we jump into the loving arms of God, when we allow God to rescue us, when we believe when we have faith, okay? So here's what that means in this context of becoming. What's keeping us stuck then, what, what, is, what is thwarting our becoming is not our lack of a desire to do so, right? Everybody wants to change, right? So it's not our lack of desire to do so, it's the how. It's the how, and that's what I want to spend a little bit of time on this morning. I'll focus on that this morning, like the nuts and bolts, the nitty-gritty, like the how-to of becoming, the how-to of transformation. Now, there, there's an old saying that, that, that goes like this. Everybody loves transformation. Nobody wants to change, right? And, and what's, it's funny, it's cute, and here's the implication, and we... we I think we pick up on it intuitively. We would all love to be magically transformed, right? I'll take that pill. Let me push that button. But no one wants to go through the slog, like the struggle of actually changing. That's a whole other story, right? Yet what Paul makes very clear in Galatians is that 
the Spirit of God within us is this seed, this love of God that, that God gives us for him. That's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a seed, the seed of change. And like all seeds, it grows gradually. It grows gradually. It grows organically, okay? So what that means is, is that true transformation, change, our becoming is a process. It is a process. Now, I was listening to, um, okay, I was eavesdropping, and I do this a lot. I, I, the boys' locker room, the things that you learn in a high school boys' locker room, I can't forget some of this stuff. I would love to hit the delete button on some of it. But listening to two high school boys last week, and they, they came, I'm on the other side of the locker, and I'm hearing them talk, and one of them says, yeah, I think I'm going to ask Kelsey out, okay? And the other kid, is like, scoffs at him, like, Pfft. He goes, yeah, and I'm going to ask out Dua Lipa. Now, I didn't know who Dua Lipa was. I had to look her up, Okay. <laughs> But she isn't a student at Lakeshore. <laughs> and when I figured out that she's not a student at Lakeshore, I, I got what the kid was making fun of. He was basically going, you haven't got a prayer. You haven't got a hope. In other words, if wishing only made it so, yeah, I'd ask out Dua Lipa. You're not going out with Kelsey. Like, just forget it, right? So, um, but getting unstuck, becoming, is beyond just wishing and hoping. It's beyond just wishing and hoping. And I'm, I'm, sure, I'm not sure we always get that. Like, I know that I don't. I spend a lot of time thinking about what I'm hoping for, like a jet ski, okay? But not a lot of time doing anything about it. Like, how am I going to hide the jet ski from my wife? Okay? So I think part of the disconnect Part of the disconnect that we have between wishing for change and actually doing something about it is because there's plenty of reasons, but one of them, I think, is that our culture often celebrates the wrong things. It holds up as the ideal, the thing to be, um, the thing to be celebrated uh, the wrong way. So we celebrate the people who pretend, who pose, who preen, who look the part, but rarely those who actually do the great good in the world. Okay, now we laugh at that, and we can blame Hollywood, but guess what, people? Hollywood exists because of us, right? Hollywood exists because of us. So look, wishful thinking is a fun distraction at times. We buy lottery tickets for wishful thinking. Um, we celebrate Lifetime Achievement Awards of actors instead of their wives who are really doing the great good. Why? Because it's this, it's this wishful thinking of instantaneous and easy change. The, but the desi and the desire to change is not nothing. The desire to change is not nothing. One psychologist put it like this. There is a point to pointing, to seeing what it is that we don't yet have and haven't attained and looking at it. Okay? We are by nature aspirational beings. Our physical bodies, Carl Jung talks about this, and I think it's just absolutely brilliant. He goes, our physical bodies have thumbs so that we can reach out and grasp and hold things that we don't yet have. 
And maybe our souls have thumbs too. I love that. Maybe our souls have thumbs too. We're aspirational beings. So the desire to change is not nothing. We all long to belong and we deeply desire to become, to transcend, to transform. But changing is, is more than just desire. It's more than just signing up for weight training. It's more than just planting the seed. Believing begins becoming, but it only is the beginning. So James Clear is an author uh, and an expert on human growth and human change. And he talks about how it is more than just desire and wishing that makes it happen like how we actually change and grow and transform as human beings. And, and if we want to be more than ghosts, more than just a shell of ourselves, or more than just who we used to think that we wanted to be, we, if we want to feel our heartbeat again, this is how he puts it. I love this. He puts it like this. We do not rise to the level of our aspirations. We sink to the level of our character. I'm going to leave that up for a second, John. I'm going to say that again. We do not rise to the level of our aspirations. We sink to the level of our character. I think that is so powerful. Our, our character is, is who we are. Not what we dream, not what we wish, not what we hope for, and all those things are fine. But our character is, just, it is the reality of who we are, and there's no escaping it. The ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus put it more succinctly. He said, character, our character is destiny. Our character is our destiny. And, and maybe he's right. Maybe James Clear is right, too. What if aligning, what if aligning our lives with the gospel of grace, believing we belong, begins our becoming because it moves us from just wishful thinking and doing and into systematic and holistic change. Because now we're not, like Paul said in the letter, now we're not trying to win the affirmation or the acclaim of other people or the silly things that, that people award us for, okay, in our society. But we actually begin to focus on who we are on our character. So if that's the case, right, if Paul and Heraclitus and James Clear, if they're, if they're making the same point, maybe a better question for us on how we get unstuck might go something like this. How can we actually nurture our character as if it is a fruit of the Spirit? So think of it like, how can we nurture our character like, like a farmer nurtures a fruit tree? What if we approached our transformation like that more instead of just wishing and hoping and dreaming? So last year, we got a new football coach at Lakeshore High School, and his name is Coach Thompson, and he arrived on the scene. He's kind of a larger-than-life guy, and the kids just love him. They absolutely love him. He won them over instantly. And he has this phrase, this mantra, this saying, and it's on posters, it's on t-shirts, it's on banners, it's everywhere. Our principal at the high school actually even used it in a staff meeting one time to basically try to inspire the rest of us. And this phrase is, it's about us. It's about us. 
And I love it so much because I think it says so much. In a, in a world that is absolutely full of villains, like right now if I ask you who the bad guys are, we all have a long list, right? And finally, we all have at least one person that's the same person on that list, right? But it, we have a, in a world full of villains, and pl- there are so many people to blame for our shortcomings, our losses, our failures, our setbacks, all the things in our life, the, all the ways that we feel stuck in a world full of villains from the refs to politicians to our family to the man to the system. Coach Thompson keeps like grabbing his players, getting them to focus one more time. He draws his players back to their ability to respond, their ability to respond to any and every situation, and that is what responsibility is. And that's where he keeps pointing him. It's all about us. All at once bestows enormous dignity on people, right? It empowers people, okay? And at the same time, it demands the requisite responsibility that comes with that. If you want the dignity, if you want the empowerment, then you've got to pick, you can't just pick up one end of the stick, Stephen Covey says. You pick up both ends of the stick. And the other end of the stick from empowerment, from, from dignity, is responsibility. The, the ability to respond to any and every aspect of life. But that's only true if you accept that challenge. Accepting the challenge to be responsible is the chance to change. It's, that's where it's at. Accepting the challenge to be responsible, to not blame the refs, to not look at the villains, okay? That is our chance to change. It isn't magic. Change doesn't happen in an instant. It is about us, and this is the next part of this process, communally committing to a process communally committing to a process. In fact, you could even go beyond what kind of commitment we're talking about. If you really are, are in for signing up for transformation, it's going to take sacrificing together. And by the way, I found this out this week. Sacrifice literally means to make something sacred. That's what it means. When you sacrifice for something, you are making it sacred in your life. So becoming, transforming, Changing, then, is really a result of all the small and steady sacrifices we make now to change our, we make now to change our character over time. The way a fruit tree grows. The Bible assumes this is how people change. This is why it's called the fruit of the Spirit and not the miracle of the Spirit or the magic of the Spirit, or the work of the Spirit. or It's not even called the gift of the Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And fruit must be nurtured. The ground must be cultivated. It has to be watered. It has to be weeded. And then, over time, we get the blooming. We get the flowering. We get the fruit. To cultivate fruit, we have the responsibility to cooperate with the miracle of seed and soil and water and light. 
that's what we're doing when we are nurturing a plant to full bloom. When we sacrifice, we commit to cultivate now, and the fruit appears later. That's how change take, takes place. Now, now, sometimes, because we're dealing with God and with faith and with, like, the inner workings of our heart and stuff, I think we think becoming is just going to happen magically. I know I do. I struggle with that temptation, but that just, that's just not how human beings work. And we know this. If you're a parent, you, you know this. You know this is how it works when you're trying to nurture the becoming of someone else. It's just hard to apply it to ourselves sometimes. But, but when, when my son was young, he decided early on, he had this aspirations for basketball. He loved basketball. It was his passion. That's what he loved to do. It was all he ever wanted to do. We tried to get him in, involved in other things. Baseball. My wife tried Latin. I knew that wasn't going to happen. All right. So then I tried football. You know, he didn't, you know, didn't like that. And my wife tried piano. I knew that wasn't going to happen. Right. But anyways, it always came back to basketball. That's what he wanted to do. And I told him, I have no idea, Jimmy, how good you can be at basketball. But I know exactly what it will take for you to become the best you can be. I do know, I, I can tell you that. And so what we began to do together is to nurture his relationship, this connection between aspiration and perspiration, right? Between aspiration and perspiration through commitment and sacrifice. And he had a group of friends that would do this with him. Um, he began to change. He began to get better at basketball, which is exactly how we get better with our character, with who we are, with what we're capable of doing over time. It's true for sports. It's true for fitness. It's true for learning a language. It's true for all kinds of change. They're gradual. They're a process. They're done best with commitments. You have to sacrifice one thing to get something later, and it's best when it's done together. Getting unstuck is about more, though, than just effort. It's about more than desire, and it's about more than just effort. So I've coached for many years, and um, one of the things that I tell every team I've ever coached is this. In every game you've ever played, everyone's always trying their best. Everyone's always trying their best. So when someone goes, did you try your best? Well, the answer is, all, yes. Everybody on game day is trying their best. I can promise you this, that on a Friday night this fall, when Lakeshore plays St. Joe in football, everyone's trying their hardest. Everyone is trying their hardest. But this is what I always tell the teams that I coach. It's not about who tried the hardest on game day. It's about who trained the wisest on the days before. So it's not about Friday, October 11th, when Lakeshore plays St. Joe in football. It's about Tuesday afternoon, August 7th, in the second practice. That's when the change happens. That's when the transformation happens. Now, I'm sorry, there's way too many slides I've been putting up here with too many catchy phrases, but here's another one, okay? There's a massive difference between trying and training. There's a massive difference between trying and training. So if we're going to change, if we're going to transform, if we're really going to become who God made us be, yes, you know, desire's not nothing, but we need, we need more than desire, okay? 
And effort is not nothing. You have to have effort, but it requires more than effort. Okay, it also requires this aspect of training. So you can think about it this way. Aspiration alone tries. Character trains. Desire alone dreams. But commitment cultivates character. That's how it works. That's what Paul is pointing us to in Galatians. That's what James Clear is discovering in his work on human growth and human change. And that's why I, we love it in storyline when ancient wisdom of the Bible and modern science come together to confirm something, these aha moments. And right now, the ancient wisdom has always been saying this. And now the modern science is finally catching up to the ancient wisdom saying, this is how you change. Okay? It's when aspiration meets perspiration. And a commitment is made with a community. That character, that is how character is cultivated. Okay? This is what begins becoming. And that's how we get unstuck. And we see it everywhere now. We see it everywhere now when people, where people are experiencing true growth and change in their lives. So, for example, this is why Peloton and CrossFit and Weight Watchers and Alcoholics Anonymous, this is why they work. This is why they work because, it's yes, it's aspirational, but it's more than just desire. Yes, it's about the effort, but it's more than just intensity. It's about community too. So they're tapping into how God actually made us. It's wise training. It's communal. It's cultivating consistently that nurtures growth. James Clear again puts it this way. We need consistency more than intensity. I love the example he uses. You want to brush your teeth every day lazily is way better than once a year as hard as you can right? It's way better. So but we need consistency more than intensity. And it, maybe, it will, maybe it will help, to, as we kind of wind down here, maybe it will help to think of it this way, with the belonging, believing, becoming, okay? Belonging is God's initiative, okay? Belonging is about God. But before you believed anything, right or wrong, before you behaved at all, right? God already loved you. God already loved you. God came to us to rescue us. He offers us that rescue. He offers that rescue to everyone, everywhere, every day, all the time. Because we belong to God. Period. Full stop. End of story. Belonging is about God. Believing in our belonging is about me. It's about you. It's about us as individuals, right? It's our choice to either accept our acceptance and our belonging or not. To trust in God's love for us or, or not. I, I'm not going to um, accept my acceptance. I'm going to go out and earn it. I'm going to I'm gonna be at the right table at the awards show. That's, what, that's where I'm going to be accepted. Okay, we've talked about that as the dreadmill. Like you're never going to get there. So will we trust in God's love for us or not? If, will we take that step, you know, if we, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, 
jump out of the burning building and into the heart of God. This believing in our belonging begins our becoming. This believing in our belonging begins our becoming, but becoming, changing, growing, getting unstuck is not just about wishing and hoping and dreaming. It's not even about trying or intensity or just effort. It is about wise training. It is about communal, consistent commitment to cultivate our character. And here's what all that means. Becoming, it's about us. It's about us. Each of us together. Us with God. Life, we've talked about it before, is a team sport. Life is a team sport. Now, that doesn't mean that I know what a commitment to cultivating your character looks like. I think churches often, at this point, right where we're at right now, I think too many churches go too far. And they go, and now here's what we're all going to do exactly the same. And this is what it looks like to cultivate a character. I think that's a mistake because we're all very, very different. It's like showing up to CrossFit and everybody lifting the same exact weight and doing the same amount of reps. That's not why it works. You know what your resistance level is. So only you know, only you know how you experience belonging, express believing, and engage in becoming. I can't know that for you. I can't prescribe that for you. But I do know that the process of growth is absolutely necessary on the one hand, and on the other hand, you have to discover it for yourself altogether. Now, I don't know what that looks like. If I knew what that looks like, we wouldn't fit here in the solarium, okay? But I think that's where we're at. In other words, this, our growth, our change, our transformation, it's no accident. This, this, who we are in here, it's no accident. Which is why Paul, in Galatians, is so opposed to religion. Religion says, if you behave, like we say, and if you believe, like we do, then you can belong. And then Jesus shows up with the gospel of grace, his beatitudes. Paul here in the first thing ever written in the New Testament in Galatians, and he's saying the opposite. Because you already belong, you can now believe and begin to become. So beautiful. I think this is getting us much closer to the nitty-gritty of how we realign our lives with God's love and grace. People who are changing and growing. The saints among us are people who've embraced this. And yes, they look like they do on purpose. They look like they do on purpose, which is why I'm so excited about next Sunday's gathering. I hope you can be here. It's always a very powerful morning. And what it's going to do with our saints among us next Sunday is it's going to celebrate what happens in and through people who've aligned themselves with God and his ways and how these saints among us inspire the saint within us all. So whenever we end a series, I always feel like this a ton of pressure, like how do I wrap this up, for, you know, whether it's four weeks or six weeks or however long. And we've been in Galatians, I think, for five weeks now. And um, it struck me, I had this great idea this week. How does Paul wrap up Galatians? And so... Um, Maybe I'm just going to let him do it. And I hope that what you're going to see 
in these closing words to his the first letter written to the first uh, in, the, in the New Testament. I, I hope you'll see Storyline's story and mission in it. And in his final words, I hope that you'll see how our satisfaction in God, how believing we belong, really can begin our becoming. And this is how Paul closes his letter to the Galatians. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens. If you think you're too good for that, you are badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Be very sure now, you, have, you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. Now, in these last sentences, I want to emphasize in the bold scrawls of my personal handwriting, the immense importance of what I have written to you. These people who are attempting to force the ways of religion on you have only one motive. They want an easy way to look good before others, lacking the courage to live by faith that shares Jesus' sufferings and death. All their talk about the law is gas. They themselves don't keep the law. And they are highly selective in the laws they do observe. They only want you to be religious so they can boast of their success in recruiting you to their side. That is contemptible. For my part, I am going to boast about nothing but the cross of Jesus. Because of that cross, I've been crucified in relation to the world set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Can't you see the central issue in all this? It is not what you and I do, submit to religion, reject religion. It is what God is doing. And he is creating something totally new, a free life. May what Jesus gives freely 
be deeply and personally yours, my friends. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for your word and for the ways that it guides us in our life. God, we thank you for the desire to change. I pray that um, this week you would show us how we could join that desire to effort and to community. How our um, believing that we belong begins our becoming and that we really can change, that our character can grow, that we can have the fruit of the Spirit born in our life. God, we pray for um, our world this morning, especially the people of Ukraine. Pray a blessing over them in this country, in that country. And we pray for peace, beg you for peace. And that cooler, wiser um, heads would prevail. God, as we leave here this morning, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week.